Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to the intersection of science, history, and the unexplained. My name is Erin. Let's see if we can figure out what in the Sam Hill is going on out there. It's been a week now since Queen Elizabeth passed away, and I am nothing if not hip and topical. So in honor of Her Royal Highness, I wanted to cover my favorite Queen Elizabeth-related conspiracy theory, which is the reptilians. This all corresponds very nicely with the last episode we did. If you'll remember, I ended on some speculation about a reptilian connection for Countess Elizabeth Bathory, so what better time to try to figure out what's what with the reptilians, especially since the supposed reptilian queen just died. Now let's address where I'm coming from. I am a ghost person, I am a Sasquatch person, I am not an alien person. I'm not strictly against the idea because Fermi's paradox said it best and also what the heck do I know, but I have never seen a UFO and most of the UFO videos that I have seen make me think advanced military technology, not extraterrestrials. So many people in the conspiracy and new age communities will start right in on the star nations and the greys and the palladians and such and it's no shade to those people but that's just not me at this stage of my studies i am over the globe earth donut earth flat earth topic in its entirety because i'm at the point where i think there are so many dimensions that we cannot perceive that all of us are wrong, and we're all wasting precious time arguing about it. I've heard plenty of smart people claim that Flat Earth is a limited hangout, and I get that because Antarctica is weird as heck, definitely an episode for the future, but more than anything, I think Flat Earth is a red herring entirely. Also, I am a huge fan of astrotheology, which is the idea that our Major theological documents and great myths are symbolic representations of astronomical events. I won't pretend to be a subject matter expert. I've really only dipped my toes in, but it is something that I find very interesting and find a lot of truth in. So anyway, I say all of that to say I am not predisposed to believing in aliens, and it's going to take a lot of evidence to get me on the reptilian bandwagon. Also, I love snakes, but I do not think that the pet snake I had in college or the garter snake that I wrangled in my backyard the other week are even remotely close to human level intelligence. You'd probably have an easier time trying to convince me that giant human sized raccoons bred with humans because my pet raccoons are smarter than some humans that I've met in my life. And at least they're mammals. Do reptilian babies hatch out of giant eggs? Are these human breeders giving birth to eggs like they're a dang platypus? I just have so many questions. So let me quit dawdling and get into my research. Now, if you're going to talk about reptilians, you basically have to start with David Icke, right? I mean, is anyone more famous on the reptilian topic? Unfortunately, I found David Icke pretty unreadable. He very much gave me the same vibes as the Starnation people and just jumped right into it with the assumption of reptilians without walking me through first principles at all whatsoever. 
maybe that's just his writing style. Maybe I didn't give it enough time. Maybe I just need a little too much handholding on the topic, but it just it wasn't doing it for me. Of course, every David Icke hit piece paints him with the crazy brush because he said he was the son of God or whatever on national TV in the UK this one time. I'm definitely not taking that route. I'm working under the assumption that it's a me problem, not a him problem. So if you are interested in this, I do still recommend that you try to read his stuff. But anyway, what I was able to gather was that the reptilian concept comes from the depictions of ancient gods across the world as serpents, dragons, feathered serpents, plumed serpents, etc. These same myths discuss gods mating with humans and Basically, we should take it all literally. That, of course, sets my astro-theology spidey senses to tingling, but I am reserving judgment. These literal reptilians are supposed to be taller than humans, hyper-intelligent, and emotionally cold and calculating. And let me just say that I feel personally attacked in this situation, okay? I am a six foot tall woman with an IQ around eh, 150-ish and growing up my parents called me the Ice Queen. And on top of all that, as I jokingly mentioned last episode, I am descended from King Edward III of England through his son John of Gaunt. Now, if you look at my sidereal astrology birth chart, you will see that I am an Aquarius sun, Gemini moon, and my Mercury is in Aquarius in the 11th house. So my extreme nerdiness and emotional distance makes sense. I'm such an air sign, I might as well be one of those breatharian people, Luna Lovegood, eat your heart out and all that. But these people really have me out here questioning if I am a reptilian hybrid based on their vague descriptions. As far as I can tell, I am fully human, but hey, what do I know? Maybe I'll find out tomorrow that reptilians are real and hey, guess what? I am one. Devil's advocate though, it may just be that height, intelligence, and lack of extra emotional attachments are characteristics that rise to the top of human hierarchies. So it becomes self-selecting and if the elites are only breeding with other tall, smart, emotionless superhumans, how many generations is it until that becomes its own subspecies, almost like Darwin's finches down in the Galapagos? Not that I blindly worship Darwin, but you get what I'm saying. For example, we know that CEOs are more likely to be taller than average, even now when leaders aren't actively going into physical battle. So it seems reasonable that the human condition would self-select for elites to be tall, smart, and emotionally distant, or, you know, vaguely sociopathic. No alien reptiles needed. Also, there are a lot of short and or dumb and or deformed elites throughout history. For example, Queen Elizabeth herself was a tiny woman. If the elites are a breed of reptilian-human hybrid and reptilians are taller than humans, why wasn't the reptilian queen at least above human average? And if she was so watered down genetically as to explain her human stature, does she even count as a hybrid anymore? Is this the one drop rule all over again? There just honestly are so many questions, biological questions, about reptilians that I don't understand and I don't see anyone talking about. 
I'm sorry, but I come from a wildlife biology and engineering background. I need the nuts and bolts of how this is supposed to work down to, yes, what is happening in the bedroom. I need more information if I'm going to buy this as a realistic possibility and not just a giant misunderstood metaphor. Not only that, but some parts of the supposed physical appearance can, I think, be explained by other things. So, for example, we see clips on YouTube of people supposedly shifting and revealing their true reptilian form. I would guess that 99% of those are deepfakes. My grandfather used to say, don't believe anything you hear and only half of what you see. Well, we live in the generation of don't believe anything you hear or anything you see. And then there are situations where people have odd things going on with their pupils. Some are described as instant dilation, etc. Well, one thing that is reported with demonic possession is rapid dilation of the pupils. Even scientists and doctors who don't believe in demonic possession admit that pupil dilation is possible with mental illness. So I'll just refer you back to my ghost sickness episode where I talked about how some mental illness like schizophrenia, for example, probably does come from negative entity attachment. In that sense, I'm very willing to believe in reptilians as negative non-corporeal beings that attach to and or fully possess humans and use the humans for their purposes. That's just demons by a different name. But I find the non-corporeal explanation of reptilians to be a milquetoast theory for people who want to believe in reptilians but don't want to be wrong so they're looking to hedge their bets. To me, the reptilian theory proper is physical, non-human beings disguising themselves as human for the purposes of integrating with and possibly even ruling human society. And I just cannot make that leap. Honestly, I would not be surprised if what it takes for me to believe in reptilians is for a reptilian to come sit across the table from me at a diner, for example, and tell me their story. And dear reptilians, if you're listening, please make this a public venue and not my house. I don't want to accidentally murder you and have a reptilian fatwa on my head because you made the mistake of scaring the poop out of me on my own turf. Please and thank you. But let's transition into discussing the idea of reptilians from an astrotheological and symbolical perspective, because this is, I think, the bread and butter of really all mystery school knowledge. To quote Sam Tripoli, there's levels to this ish. If you can imagine the tree of knowledge as a giant game of shoots and ladders, I think that every time you take a symbolic bit of knowledge as literal, you jump the chute down a level or two. In the symbolism is the truth. And I don't mean symbolism as in Jesus meant the Eucharist as a symbol of his blood and a symbol of his body. Because sorry to my Catholic friends who want to die on the transubstantiation hill, but that kind of symbolism doesn't matter. I'm talking about the deep symbolism that tells you the meaning and structure of the entire universe. And the most important symbolism I find related to the idea of reptilians is the serpent and the eagle. Matt LaCroix has done great work on the serpent versus eagle symbology across cultures. I don't agree with him on all of his takeaways, but he's definitely one of the key thinkers, including Ralph Ellis, David Matheson, Barry Fitzgerald, etc., that I am trying to integrate together on all of this. 
to boil down Matt's work into a couple of sentences. We find serpents or dragons and eagles or phoenixes in the symbols of every major ancient culture and through to the modern age in the symbolism of many great secret societies and nations and even Harry Potter. Generally speaking, we all think of eagles as representing freedom, strength, and the best of the human condition, while we think of serpents as evil deceivers and tricksters. In reality, though, when you look at the fruit of their actions to find their true meanings, the eagle represents domination and force, while the serpent represents healing and spirituality. And it's been Team Eagle that have been the great deceivers rather than Team Serpent as we have been taught. As far as proof goes and first principles, I'll defer to Matt on that, but I do want to offer my own thoughts and examples. I think he's on the money with the true nature of the serpent and eagle symbolism. We see the serpent in the kundalini energy and in the caduceus of Hermes used by medicine still today. Though of course, I think true medicine died with Tesla, but that's a different tangent for a different day. One flaw I potentially see in Matt's work is that he relies on this idea of the Nephilim being the products of the sons of God, aka the Anunnaki of ancient Sumer, mating with the daughters of man, aka Denisovans and Neanderthals. I still think Ralph Ellis is correct that the Nephilim are not the children of the sons of God and daughters of man, and that the biblical passage has been misread and mistranslated. He has shown that the Nephilim shouldn't be translated as giants, but instead as shining ones. And it's his assertion that the Nephilim were a religious role in the temples of ancient Egypt. As I have come to study Matt LaCroix as he talks about the Children of Light and Barry Fitzgerald as he talks about the Shining Ones, I've come to wonder if the Nephilim were part of this larger Phalian phenomenon and that if a Nephilim role existed in the ancient temples, that it may have been modeled after the Phalians. That's also interesting because Ralph's belief is that these were virgin priestesses for lack of a better term that would... um manually satisfy the phallus of the god statue, which is funny since alien abductions often talk about probing of a sexual nature. So have the Phalians always been interested in breeding humans and the Nephilim priestesses were acting that out? Or is every species of entity ever just total horn dogs? I don't know. It's a question I'm going to leave lingering until I can do some more research and integrate some more knowledge. But I do want to speculate about why serpents and why eagles. Well, for one, I think it's interesting that a coiled snake resembles the spiral symbol that seems to always represent God in ancient cultures, in the same way that the golden ratio phi seems to be the physical manifestation of God in our three-dimensional reality. And a slithering snake resembles a sine wave, which per quantum physics, we are learning that everything in our universe is both particle and wave on some level. So that may be linked to why a serpent represents the secret knowledge of the universe. Also, I think it ties into the constellation of Ophiuchus. So in astrotheology, Scorpio represents hell. Mark 9.48 describes hell as where the worm never dies and the fire is not quenched. Well, the Scorpio constellation very much resembles a worm and it crosses the Milky Way at the point where the Milky Way is at its brightest, so it would appear to be a fire that is never quenched. Interestingly, in the Christian context, we have this notion of hell as having sulfur or brimstone, but the Greek word for sulfur, theon, 
also means divine, as in divine fire. So that certainly could represent the bright light around the constellation Scorpio. Scorpio is also represented as an eagle, though we can't entirely be sure why. The connection is at least as old as the book of Ezekiel in the Bible because we have the tetramorph of the man, lion, ox, and eagle representing the four fixed signs of the zodiac. Aquarius being the man, Leo being the lion, Taurus being the ox, and Scorpio being the eagle. And it shouldn't be any surprise to find astrology in the Bible as we have archaeological evidence of zodiac wheels in ancient synagogues. So Scorpio is most certainly the eagle and it has this association with hell or negativity. Then, right next to Scorpio, we have a little-known constellation called Ophiuchus, or the Serpent Bearer. You may know of Ophiuchus as the 13th constellation of the Zodiac, depending on what branch of astrology you are familiar with. In sidereal astrology, specifically true sidereal astrology, Ophiuchus is known as the Healer Energy. This is consistent with ancient Greek mythology, the constellation of Ophiuchus was linked in Greek mythology to Asclepius, the son of the sun god Apollo and the mortal woman Coronis. Asclepius was a healer and physician who could resurrect the dead, and he was killed by Zeus with a thunderbolt because Zeus was mad that only the gods were supposed to be immortal. And Zeus is often represented by the eagle. Now, Coronis shares the same Greek word as crow, which is an animal that has certainly been demonized as intelligent, but a trickster. I mean, we call them a murder. If that's not bad PR, I don't know what is. But some Greek historians linked Coronis to the constellation Corvus, the crow, which makes sense considering the temples of Asclepius either appear to be oriented to the constellation Ophiuchus or the constellation Corvus. Asclepius carries a staff with a coiled serpent, similar to the caduceus of Hermes, which has two serpents, and Hermes has also been demonized as intelligent but a trickster, even though we have Hermes and Hermes Thoth as key figures in the mystery schools. And as a cherry on top of all of this, take a look at the Navy Medal of Honor, which still closely resembles the original designs of both the Navy and Army medals. You have the goddess Columbia, the patron goddess of America, and a representation of the Greek-Roman goddess Athena Minerva, who is the patron of wisdom and war. She has a quiver of sorts behind her and a shield in front of her, and she's looming over a man that's holding two serpents. This design is a direct copy of the constellations Boutes and Ophiuchus. The Boutes constellation has its arm back holding a sword, or in this case, a quiver. The shield in front of the goddess is the constellation Corona Borealis. Note the similarity to Asclepius's mother, Coronis. It's the same root word in Proto-Indo-European. And the man is Ophiuchus, who can be thought of as holding two serpents, or in terms of constellation, the two halves of a serpent, serpents caput and serpents cauda, head and tail. All of this is in an inverted star decorated with oak leaves. The inverted star or inverted pentagram represents matter over spirit, three-dimensional reality over ascension. The oak tree is linked to Thor, who fills the same archetype as Zeus, so that's another eagle reference. And the army version of the original Medal of Honor actually has an eagle sitting on top. Plus, let's not forget that Athena Minerva is the goddess worshipped at Bohemian Grove. 
Despite what you've heard from Alex Jones and the like, it is not Moloch, who definitely is a apis bull deity. The giant owl represents Athena Minerva, and this is confirmed by the Bohemian Grove motto, Weaving Spiders Come Not Here, which is a clear reference to the myth of Athena and Arachne. Why is wisdom worshipped by these people, but true knowledge in the traditions and symbols of Asclepius, the Crow, and Hermes demonized? Back to the Medal of Honor. We have the eagle using the crown, here representing the crowns of rulers, not Coronis, the mother of Asclepius, and the goddess of war to punish the serpent, the symbol of healing and knowledge. I also find it extremely ironic, as a true southerner, that the Medal of Honor was first introduced during the Civil War, which, to my southern sensibilities, was the war that very clearly killed the American Federation of States and created the American Empire. I also find it interesting that this is the Medal of Honor for the Army and Navy, and we continue to use the American military to expunge or hide sacred knowledge from the masses. Case in point, when not even a month after entering Iraq in 2003, the troops looted the National Museum of Baghdad where ancient Sumerian relics were held. And let's not forget that Saddam Hussein claimed he was the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar reincarnated. Again, there's levels to this ish. Ultimately, I think what we are dealing with is a cosmic fight between Team Eagle and Team Serpent, and somehow that fight is linked to this connection between Ophiuchus and Scorpio, but I would love to do more research there. I also think this reptilian theory may play into the Eagle versus Serpent battle royale. Consider that the symbolism of many nations currently depicts the Eagle conquering the Serpent. If there were literal reptilians operating behind the scenes, I would think it might be a little offensive and certainly ineffective propaganda to have their children the snakes being conquered left and right by some stupid birds. Let's just say I'm considering the possibility that the theory of literal reptilians might be a limited hangout or red herring put out by Team Eagle to further demonize the serpent symbol. So, Queen Elizabeth might have been a lot of things, but I don't think she was a literal reptile. That's going to wrap it up for this week's episode. Take a gander at the show notes to find links to all those resources, as well as all of the places you can find me. You can also go to beacons.ai slash whatsamhill to get a free sticker and show your support for the show. Until next time, may you never stop asking, what in the Sam Hill?